Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you send out your word and your spirit so that in your light we might see light. We pray now as we await to hear from you that you would give us receptive hearts, that our minds would be open, and that we would be prepared to hear from you, and that your word would be clearly proclaimed to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 2, starting at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So glad that Jeff Harden is uber excited about this series. I'm uber excited to be sharing it. You know, something in me is uh, sometimes kind of resisted using this language of mission and vision in in churches because it's so common in the business world, and we don't want to, you know, come with a business mindset uh, to the church. But I've come to see there's something really valuable here about clarifying what we believe. Uh, about who we are as a community and what God has called us to and what we love about Geneva Campus Church and its history and how it's shaped us and, and, and how it's uh, extending out into the future and, and what that uh, should look like. And so uh, I'm, I'm uber excited as well. Uh, you'll find, uh, as Jeff said, that a prayer guide for this coming week in your bulletin uh, that uh, has the mission statement. And uh, let me just read it for us one more time. Geneva's mission is to glorify God by embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life together, equipping each other to serve Christ's kingdom, and engaging the university, the city, and the world with Christ's love and redemption. And so each week we're looking at a different part of this statement, and uh, last week we looked at embodying the gospel. And and one of the things we said about that uh, theme of embodying the gospel is that at its heart, this is a way of talking about being a worshiping community. If the church is the body of Christ, then Jesus is the head of the body, and it's as we worship him that we will be the people that he calls us to be. And so today, 
we're considering the second part of our mission, equipping each other to serve Christ's kingdom. And this is a statement about our desire to be a church where we grow in faith and uh, we live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus gives gifts for the building up of his church, and we want to be a church where people are discovering their gifts and, and using their gifts uh, for ministry to others. And so today, we're going to focus on this theme of being disciples as we look at the experience of the early church in Acts 2 and how this equipping work was happening among the, the first Christians. And there are three things that we need to see here today. First, the, the precondition of discipleship. Second, the practices of discipleship. And third, the purpose of discipleship. Let's look at each of these. We're, we're going to see the precondition of discipleship in verses 37 to 41, the practices of discipleship in verses 42 and 43, and the purpose of discipleship in verses 44 to 47. So let's begin with the precondition of discipleship. What do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean is that there can be no discipleship, no equipping each other in the church, apart from what we see here in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the church, empowering it for its mission. And that's what's recorded at the beginning of Acts 2. And after the great events of, of Pentecost and the pouring out of the Spirit on the church, the, the disciples were speaking in other languages, uh, the Apostle Peter preached a sermon to explain to everyone who was watching what was going on. At the heart of his sermon, which you can read in the, in the, the rest of Acts 2, uh, at the heart of his sermon was, was the message that the things that the people saw were a sign that God had acted in the person and work of Jesus to fulfill his promises. And Peter holds up the death and resurrection of Jesus as the center of God's great redemptive work for the world. And our text today picks up with the response of those who were listening to Peter's message. Verse 37 says, that they were cut to the heart. They were, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of the truth of what Peter was saying and filled with a need to respond. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter tells them to turn to God through repentance and to be baptized and to, to participate in what God is doing through the Holy Spirit. What does this teach us about being an equipping church. I said that there's a precondition of discipleship here. The precondition is a heart that has been softened by the message of the gospel. It's been cut to the heart in the way in which we see here. If the gospel is what God has done for the world in and through Jesus, then there can be no discipleship without this kind of humility this kind of repentance. If you've been cut to the heart, this means that you realize your own need for grace, that you needed Jesus to die for your sins too. And in your spiritual life, you take a posture of receiving, not achieving. 
This is why Peter responds to their question, you know, what shall we do? Not by giving them a, a list of good deeds to perform. Instead, he tells them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life begins with repentance and, and receiving the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers everything. In repentance, we, we turn away from our own self-reliance in order to rely on Christ. We confess our need for grace. If you try and be a Christian, try and be a disciple, apart from this precondition of grace, uh, you will only exhaust yourself because it will just be another way of relying on your own salvation efforts, your own efforts to make uh, your life good. It will be a, a religious performance. But if you start with grace and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, this changes everything. It means that as you walk down the path of discipleship, you already know that you have everything given to you at the beginning of your journey. You are accepted by God through faith. You're welcomed into his kingdom as a son or a daughter. You're given his spirit, the promises of his care, and, and a hope for the future that nothing can take away. I love how the 20th century uh, British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones would, would ask people uh, a question to see if they understood this, this character of the Christian life. Uh, he would be having a, a pastoral conversation with someone, and he would ask them, uh, are you a Christian? Are you, are you ready to say that you're a Christian? And if they responded, as they sometimes did, I'm trying, he would say, you don't get it. If being a Christian is only about how hard you're trying, then you don't get it. The gospel is not about what you must do for God. It's about what God has done for you. That's what makes you a Christian. That what, that's what gives you the confidence to be able to say, yes, I am a Christian, because it doesn't depend on me. It depends on what Jesus has done for me. It's not good advice for how to live. It's good news about what he's done. God saves the lost. God rescues the hopeless. God forgives the guilty. He brings them in. And this is why Peter says, repent and, and be baptized. Believe the good news. So we had to start talking about equipping here in order to be clear that the discipleship that we're reflecting on is a work of grace from beginning to end. But we also grow in grace. The practices of discipleship are the means that God uses to deepen us in the reality of what he has done. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his classic Life Together, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. You know, an, an ideal is something that we don't have uh, but to which we aspire, and it depends on us to achieve. But the reality of Christian community that he's talking about here 
is that it's already a reality in Christ. It's already here. And we are given ways to participate in what Christ has already achieved. And these are the practices of discipleship that we hear uh, in, and reflected in, in the early church in, in Acts 2, in, in verses 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There are four ministries that we can identify here. A ministry of learning, a ministry of fellowship, a ministry of worship, and a ministry of witness and and service. And we could go into a lot of detail about each one of these, but today I want to say something briefly about each one and then say something about how they all fit together in the ministry of the church. First, we see uh, the ministry of learning in the devotion to the apostles' teaching. And this means that in the Christian faith, there is something to learn. It has specific content that we call the gospel, the good news that Peter preached about the death and resurrection of Jesus. To be devoted to the apostles' teaching means more than being someone who likes to talk about spiritual things. It means a commitment to the the authoritative preaching of the apostles and their witness to Jesus, which is is collected in the New Testament. So there's this ministry of learning. Second, there's a ministry of fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship here is, is koinonia. And in the rest of this passage, we see what it looked like. It was, it was an intense fellowship. In verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. In verse 46, and daily they were attending the temple together. And they were also spending time in one another's homes. They ate together. They showed hospitality. So it was an intense fellowship. It was also a whole life fellowship. It was not only spiritual, but economic. They knew when someone was in need, and they sacrificed to to meet those needs. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This was a a spontaneous spontaneous work of, of generosity in the church, signaling that the Spirit was active there. Third is the ministry of worship. Luke says that the disciples were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The use of the article here is significant. It's not just that they broke bread together and prayed together. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Most commentators agree that the breaking of bread here refers to the Lord's Supper, and, and the prayers are not just private prayer, but, but prayer meetings and services with some liturgy. The worship of the early church was both formal and informal. They met together at the temple and in their homes. Large group meetings required more structure and order, liturgy, and small groups could be more informal and, and intimate. I mean, this is similar to our practice here at Geneva with Sunday worship and household group meetings. So fourth, and finally, there's a ministry of witness and service. The, the apostles were giving people reasons to believe through signs and wonders, and, 
And we know that they were also serving the poor and, and the disenfranchised because in Acts 6, they will appoint deacons to maintain this ministry. So these are, uh, in broad overview, the, the four major ministries of the early church that uh, we seek to, to live out today. And what does this all teach us about being an equipping church? What I, what I hope for you to see in this overview is how holistic the ministry of the early church was. It included worship and service, prayer and teaching, evangelism and fellowship. It's not uncommon for a church to focus on just one of these ministries and build everything around it. But if we're going to be a church that reflects what we see in the book of Acts, we must pursue all of these together. And it's this kind of balanced ministry that we aim for here at Geneva. But approaching a church in this kind of way also comes with its challenges, and and let me tell you why. As we consider this holistic call to discipleship, it's easy, uh, just as churches can do, for us as individuals to select one of these or one aspect of these and make it more important than the others. And usually, when we do this, uh, the one that we choose is the one that we have some natural affinity for or strength in. And the danger is, is that we would make that element of ministry a point of pride that gives us the right to to judge other people in the church. For example, some of us are drawn to worship. We love to sing, uh, to express our our love uh, for God. Uh, We put a strong emphasis on on gathering in worship, and we can sometimes give other people the impression that unless you're on fire in worship, you know, uh, your faith isn't really strong. Some of us are relationally very active, and so intimate small groups are what are most important to us for living the Christian life, you know, doing life together, being vulnerable with one another, caring for one another. And we can make uh, things sometimes very uncomfortable for our brothers and sisters who struggle to open up to others. Some of us love to, to study and read the Bible and theology And these are good things, foundational. But if they lead us to condemn others as insufficiently serious about their faith, then we've missed the point of God's word. Or finally, you know, some of us have a heart for the poor and the oppressed. And so we believe that the church must have a vision for social justice or we will fall short. And others can sometimes come away just feeling guilty and and condemned. Here's my point. We've seen that all of these are important elements of discipleship. We all need to reflect all of them in one way or another, but we're not all equally drawn to or strong in all of these different areas. And I think this leaves us with an invitation. Instead of 
looking down on those who don't match our expectations for the Christian life. We're invited to see each other as people that we need to reflect the wholeness of what God calls us to be. Equipping each other to serve Christ's kingdom doesn't mean I have what you need, but you have what I need. We need each other to be the church that God calls us to be. And this means learning from one another, being challenged by one another, and allowing one another to lead us into the faithfulness to Christ in every area of our lives. This brings us to our last point today, the the purpose of discipleship. Acts 2 shows us that the, the purpose of a disciple is never individualistic or, or self-centered. It's never so that I can pat myself on the back and congratulate myself on how far I've advanced uh, in following Jesus. The moment we begin to do that, you know, we, we take pride in ourselves and we've lost uh, sight of the, of the purpose of discipleship, which is to love and serve others as Christ has served us. The purpose of discipleship is is the formation of a community of people who have that heart, that desire to reflect the character of Christ. When you have a community like this, a, a community of people who've been humbled by their own need for grace, who know that their need for forgiveness has been met in Christ, who are sure that God accepts and welcomes them in love, This will be a community where equipping each other will be steeped in grace. We'll be people who aim for the heart of our brothers and sisters in everything we say and do to encourage each other with the good news of the gospel. If you see the the purpose of discipleship is not being for yourself, but for others, it will also change your motivation for growing as a Christian. You'll want to learn more of the Bible, not so that you can be puffed up with knowledge, but so that you have truth to offer those in need. You'll seek out opportunities for fellowship so that you can encourage other people and and be encouraged yourself. Worship will not be an obligation, something that you must do to be a good religious person. But instead, it will be a joyful opportunity to participate in the reality of the body of Christ. You'll seek out opportunities to serve those in need and pursue justice because you know that Jesus gave his life for you. Let me end with this today. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And every year around this time, I reread Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. And as you probably know, King was arrested in Birmingham for his participation in a nonviolent march on Good Friday, April 12, 1963. And uh, he and those who were with him were arrested for disobeying a judge's injunction against any parading, demonstrating, boycotting, trespassing, or picketing in Birmingham that was meant to keep the black community from drawing attention to their needs. What we sometimes forget is that King was surrounded 
in that jail by many others who'd been trained in his practice of nonviolent resistance. And these were everyday men and women who had made a commitment to love their enemies by not retaliating with violence, no matter how they were treated. And King and those who worked with him understood that living out the values of nonviolence required deep character formation and commitment. And this is why those who participated in those marches had been intentionally trained beforehand in the practices of nonviolent action. And as part of this process, uh, each person was issued a commitment card that summarized what they were agreeing to in order to participate in the movement. In order to go on the march, you had to have one of these cards. And it's, it's an amazing document. I'd like to share it with you and read it for you as we end today. Uh, and here, here's what each person who was in jail with Dr. King had in their pocket. I hereby pledge myself, my person and body, to the nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following Ten Commandments. One, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Two, remember always that the nonviolent movement in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. Five, Sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men might be free. Six, observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seven, seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Eight, refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Nine, strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. Ten, follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. I sign this pledge having seriously considered what I do and with a determination and will to persevere. Now, uh, we don't ask our members to sign a commitment card, but we do ask our members to make promises, some of which you'll find in the, in the bulletin today and we'll be uh, using in a few weeks. And the commitment we make to one another in the church is not that different in principle from what Dr. King was doing. He was preparing his people to live a countercultural lifestyle in a world that would seek to attack and discourage them in any way possible. And so they needed to be absolutely clear on what they believed and to what and to whom they were committed. They needed to know their mission. And it's in this spirit uh, that we're holding up our mission together. And let me close today then by reading for you this short paragraph from the, the prayer guide that expresses what we mean by equipping each other. It says, Geneva is a learning and loving community. We are committed to growing spiritually and emotionally as committed disciples of Jesus at every stage of life. This means growing in our knowledge of the Bible and the Christian faith, but it also means, just as importantly, growing in our skill at loving others by learning how to engage in healthy conflict, collaborate as the body of Christ, stay connected to those who differ from us, and remain a calm presence when anxiety rises. In short, we aim to love God and to love our neighbor. 
through scripture reading, prayer, household groups, Bible studies, and other discipleship practices, we seek to reflect the character of Jesus in all that we say and do. Jesus says in, in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We love because he first loved us. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Fathers, uh, we seek to glorify you by equipping each other to serve your kingdom. Uh, We pray you continue to grow us as your disciples that we would know that we are accepted and welcomed into your family by grace, uh, that we are your sons and your daughters. Would you encourage us in our life together? Would you uh, equip us in the ways that we need to serve you uh, in this church and in this community? And would you continue to guide us and, and teach us and lead us in your ways? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.